Hello, welcome to Ryle Books Podcast. My name is Sina Seifi. I am an artist and researcher based in Brussels. Over the last few years, I have been working on fairy tales, zoologies, and the participation of animals in texts. And I have been working with the figure of Cinderella for some time, thinking with her about the human-animal modes of imagination. Cinderella is part of my imaginary and my heritage, especially the Walt Disney version of the Grimm's fairy tales, which was dubbed masterfully before the Iranian Revolution. Cinderella's voice in Farsi, which was the continuum of an actor training that originated in Tehrani cabaret voice performances, has a completely different tonality than its English original. Her articulation sounds much more adult and sexy, while the mice speak more childish. From a different archetype of a Greek slave girl who marries the king of Egypt, she is now part of the older regimes of moral narratives, almost abject, with no pedagogical significance, unless she is totally refashioned. Disney didn't change the story so much, but made the choice to make the animals the real protagonists of the story. It is hard to imagine that anyone would want to raise their children, regardless of the gender, to be like Cinderella, weak. From whom should we inherit our practices and how? I prefer Cinderella to be my ancestor. Cinderella is not liberated, but she is also not not free. She lives in an impossible house with an impossibly terrible family. Why doesn't she become a psycho? Why doesn't she become estranged? Cinderella is circumscribed in all sorts of ways, yet she exercises a radical form of freedom that allows her to know more about the animals she lives with. Our imagination, as the audience of the story, depends on her animals. Cinderella incorporates a form of transhumanity that lies in the way she is inhabiting and composing with a place that she cannot escape. Can we think of Cinderella as an amateur ethologist? Amateur meaning the one who develops an expertise in taste, an ethologist meaning a practical mode of attention to animals, for whom the ways that attention is addressed matters. From Cinderella, one can learn cross-species politeness and exploring ways of learning what animals are capable of doing with and because of her labor. With her, we can make a move from emancipatory critical analysis to pragmatism. Learning pragmatism from Cinderella is about how to think and act with her evil sisters, biological or adopted. In writing Cinderella's diaries, I was interested in getting to know more about 
how the story changes when the investigator becomes the biographer and try to think in the rhythms of daily living in Cinderella's mansion, including the receiving of insult upon insult, pleasure of mending spider webs, cutting cat bullshit, feeding illegal mice, and routines of schizoaffective hallucinating with talking animals. I was also thinking about contemporary European performative arts where I am situated, a context in which art is understood on a fundamental level as the capacity to resonate otherwise through the body. In other words, art is practiced and evaluated as a source of provocation. I can't stop thinking that Cinderella's waiting is not of the same nature of the intensification of the body in all its differences that I witness in Europe. If she is not resonating to feel a different world, what is she resonating with? Cinderella's diaries also helped me to invite two issues about the state of precarity that I don't know yet how to think about. Her problematic relation to precarity reveals two difficulties the question of hierarchy and the question of waiting. In the story, the most adventurous and the most curious of the animals are surprisingly the ones who are most attached to Cinderella. This is precisely what Cinderella herself performs, learning from her animals that bravery is not a form of detachment from the environment, it is rather a form of hierarchy. The other issue is about waiting. Cinderella is not a trickster, outwit her situation by using clever technologies, but a waiter. Under an existential X-ray surveillance, her acts reveal what I monitor and recognize as compositional waiting. She waits compositionally while working with full optimism within the precarity of the of her situation that she has no hope for getting better. A Cinderella who does her job engages us in a totally different manner than a Cinderella who is the victim of the authority of her evil mother. Not considered as a victim, she becomes much more present and therefore inviting more interesting questions about her mode of labor. This opened for me a space to think about her inhuman gesture of endurance, her know-how of being in a world that proliferates with chaotic zones of improvisation with animals. The affirmative register of life as something overwhelming, the involvement of senses in the force of things evil or indifferent. The ability to interpret the weight of a milieu that spreads across cattle with diary animals and castles with sophisticated princesses. So yes, um, this is why I'm interested in Cinderella. And uh, writing diaries was a writing style new for me. And I'm very excited to continue it. I hope you enjoy it.
Cinderella's Diary, number one. A curtain of birds opened early this morning. A half-dream borrowed its voice from outside the sleep. Rattle of cattle, wind rippled through the apple trees at one end of the ranch, bringing the scent of a grassland, deep landscape of the valley. I opened my eyes to see. The shimmering feathers that revealed nature's breath of life, a group of nightingales, who have nested for a while right above my window, are inside. They dance their way in. Centuries of ceremonial lineage of bird move, a rocky and broken style of good morning. We play our everyday games of cling-claw. I pretend I am asleep and protected by the pillow. The little one flies on the top looking for my eyes. I worm my way in from behind. My left hand becomes a different creature with its own agency, slowly approaching and attempting to bite the butt. And you have to be fast. And you may get beaked. Nightingales are always as if insisting on something. I search in their tones for signification, signs of old slipstreams of mimetic curiosity, or maybe it is not, but an announcement of something carved in a perspective. And I sing back. Not sure what listening looks like, but they have developed a fixation with my hair. Maybe that is a bird's listening bird activated by hair and in its curls. I wake up to a mind activated by beasts. So I wake up hungry and thirsty and punctured. My room right below the pitched roof of our old mansion is a micro world of sensations. It is an addict, a fringe country that prompts the animal to wonder and Cinderella to find scrambled companions. Not a confusing terrain, but a concophony of niches distributed throughout the whole house, I am afraid. This is their escape terrain, full of old mouse mining and labyrinths of tunnels, food and bedding places. Narrow and grim for my taste, intolerable creepy places that I rather not know about. Perfect home for them. Places that well houses the dreaded inner self of a mouse. My bed is nothing like that. There is no confusion about our identities. Mice, those who know your every move. There is something ajag vajag about these ones. Ajag vajag, it might be a Persian word. I'm not exactly sure what it literally means, but it refers to and definitely sounds like something unorderly zigzagged, but also lavish. Little rodents, their tails zigzag, their ears noisy, their eyes illusions, their fur frightened, my care bottomless. They are hilariously rude. As I rest my fingers to a place of lesser hunger, Soft-colored woven of horrifying insides fade away from caress to caress. Their job, to be woolly, noisy monsters and hard to school. My job, 
to learn from their tricks and to be able to approach them. My social dimension is full of routines of wily grimace and monster assistance, and they talk. I mean, they talk. I ask, what happens if they catch you? They will squash me, they say. I put my trust in them somehow. In mice, I trust. Here, I have the luxury of attention to an attic bestiary and dozens of jaws and talons and tails. Sometimes I notice a particular mouse is missing. Jash, for instance, mysteriously disappeared for a few weeks once. I think it is dead or has become cat food by Lucifer, the black cat of Madame. But he comes back. It is good to be reminded that they can go beyond my curfew. These mice are not loners, certainly not, and also not pioneers of new terrains. They like to create nests. They stay, like me. My two sisters and stepmother, unhappy, spasmodic, self-dramatizing, and not knowing anything about mice, for them is a non-mystery of 18 years of mice invisibility. For me, vivid excursions into how these untamed creatures embark on unbelievable risks, how they deal with certainties that are completely foreign to me, and how enriched is their social intelligence and in the ways they respond to the house. What is the equivalent for the words envy, virtue, pious in mice language. I wonder if they can remember dreaming. My father died 13 years ago, making dreaming thicker. I say to myself, be careful with those memories. Dreaming is thinking with the night. Memory, making a person too vulnerable to accomplish anything. Distance breeds imagination. But without concrete expression, imagination can so easily make a fool of a child of a primate evolution. In the distance, between sky and terra, mirrors of infinity, sits the great palace with waterfalls and gardens where I trace the dream of a prince forlorn, waiting in the direction of my waiting. Okay, enough for now. Forget about the prince. Focus on the issues at hand. Have to go to the kitchen now, before they wake up. Have to prepare breakfast. And there is work to be done in the house.
Cinderella's Diary, number two. I finished cleaning the hallway this early afternoon by the order of the mother, although it was, I would say, clean. I was accompanied by Lucifer, the domestic cat favored by mother, who eventually scattered the dirt through the salon, so I had to do it all over again. I really should one day properly punish that feline disobedience. I have never seen a cat laugh. I swear to my father's grave, I have seen him giggling from time to time. It is so weird. Lucifer is a well-established fat animal, lazy and arrogant, legs wide open, embodying an organic hierarchy, sleeping in a lordly highness of a cat bed in mother's room, his footsteps, savored by the notion of a sizzling enemy, populates the maze pattern of the floor that I just washed. Colored by the ashes in the form of his exquisitely designed paws, is this play or death score for me? And I clean the gray ash, the color of poverty. My sister's door is slammed shut. With my mother, together they form a treesome of a criminy. My two sepsisters, they are called Anastasia and Drizella. They throw at me unwashed clothes and my name, Cinderella. Their choreography is one of persistent defamation of one another. I sometimes teasingly change their names, Doris and Mabel, Portia and Joy, Prunella and Esmeralda, Calliope and Minerva, Charlotte and Gabrielle, Clorinda and Thisbe, Teresa and Julia, Georgina and Mildred, Elsie and Doris, Gert and Daisy, Lucretia and Griselda, Amnesia and Magnesia. Spoiled, awkward, ungainly, and often covered in lavish and poor applications of makeup. Despite the appearances of physically repellent, obnoxious harpies, they can be unruly man-eaters. They insult and flirt at the same time. Anyway, I like them. They are closely aligned in a weird way and mutually defining one another, at the same time separate and conflicting. Although their occasional cruelty, they are multicolored, and ajag fajag, agents of exquisite gossip. Cleaning a big rusty mansion charges you with heightened attention to details and locked closets that one is able to notice only by the indication of dirt. Follow the dust and it brings you to frozen terrains, to subspecies of space that crawls into the cracks of time from the cleaner's perspective, dust magnifies molecular pasts. Some days ago, for instance, hidden deep in the library, I found fragments of a transcription in my father's study box. It was titled, A Harem Manifesto. Harem is the equivalent of a polygynous household, those only women domestic spaces lounged in the imaginaries of entrapment. It fastened my father's curiosity for so many years. 
in his harem notes, most of them eaten and torn by mice. I tried to read some. Harem refers to extremely advanced levels of domesticating practices. Welcome to harem, you show up castrated in a site that is interested in both the polygynous woman admirer and the collectivity of wives. One can ask, what are the conditions of life and thought when one is habituated by husband, by language, by ghosts, by animals, or by evil mother? We live in these things, not outside them. We are not thinking of them as precarities you can overcome. We are structured and destructured by them. We stay in this game and we think we can struggle, move, or shift their meanings, but never erase or repress them. Becoming harem researcher is precisely this experience of infinite submission, the ability to carry disappearance of agency, or call it ego. You are subjecting oneself before becoming a subject. Welcome to this place of study. How to inhabit. This is how to be transformed by the environment, which is the same as how to transform the environment. Anyways, the last part made me think how my prince dreams are changed by living in a country of mice. And to transform the environment made me wonder how my social relations with my sisters and mother downstairs in the human realm are influenced by my attic life. Okay, dear diary, that is enough for now. I am hallowed by exhaustion and need to clean the kitchen before going to bed. <laughs>